Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Chainbytes 360 podcast, the podcast about everything from cryptocurrency and underlying technologies to current news in the industry. So today we wanted to talk about something that I think everybody goes through, at least at one point in time in a conversation, says, what do you think it'd be like living off of cryptocurrencies, having no reliance on a bank whatsoever? So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about just that with our guest, Joel Valenzuela. Joel's a veteran independent journalist and podcaster. He has been living unbanked off cryptocurrency since 2016. And previously, Joel worked for the Dash DAO and now primarily writes podcasts for the Digital Cash Network on the Library Decentralized Content platform. I'm Jeremy Snyder, the CEO of BTM Compliance, and I'm joined by Eric Grill, the CEO of Chainbytes. And as always, let's get into it. Joel, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I can think of a few things I'd rather do on a Monday than just talk about my life's passions. So there you go. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you carving out some time in order to do that. One of the things that we kind of like to go through with our guests is we throw them through some rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to have at it. If you want to go ahead and just give us some some nice one word answers, it could be yes, no, or you know, just something directly to the question. But We'll get started. So, do you believe in ghosts? That's a tough one, but let me, well, I'll simply say no. <laughs> that's the first time you've asked that question. Okay, okay that's a good one. <laughs> do you have any kids? No. Okay, so, you, so you've probably <laughs> never stolen from any kids' Halloween candy stashes. Not stealing. Um, I have, but not my own. <laughs> okay. And you definitely own Bitcoin, correct? Yes, uh, insignificant amounts at this present time. <laughs> Have you ever used a Bitcoin ATM? Yes, several times. I could think of at least a half dozen, I think. Okay. All over in, in countries all over, many countries all over the world. <laughs> Perfect. Can you name an unusual item that you have purchased with Bitcoin? I guess I'm trying to figure out what is the usual item category. <laughs> because, I guess oh. anything. Oh. It wasn't a $10,000 pizza, was it? No, I mean, does it can't do other cryptocurrencies count, yeah. or is it, or do you just want to stay with Bitcoin for now? No, I think other other cryptocurrencies okay. count. Well, I bought desserts at a French patisserie with Dash yesterday for my uh, anniversary with the missus, so that worked out quite well. I don't know if that's that's probably unusual because not a lot of people in crypto are can spend it and have like a missus, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, I hope my missus isn't listening because I don't think she knows how much crypto I have. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're gonna find out. I if never she's do. <laughs> Joel, are you working in a field that you went to school for? Uh, the short answer is definitely not. The longer answer is could be yes. Okay. And do you know how to code? I would mostly. I would go with no because HTML and CSS doesn't usually count as code. And my Go skills are not to where I like, know how to do it. All right, we'll give you that. And what's one of your nicknames? When I was a kid, Meatloaf, because I was a, a fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> I had one, too, very similar. It was actually Meatball, because I think my head was really round. That's what they called it. Uh, that was one of mine as well, although it was Al which is a Spanish version of that. But yeah. <laughs> Well, hey, I think everybody who's going to be listening to this podcast is going to be pretty particularly interested in hearing about just your adventures and how you've been living off of cryptocurrencies. So why don't you start off with that? Yeah, so I've always had a keen interest in 
economics because ever since I was you know, young and learning about it in school, uh, it seemed to me to be the, it's kind of a science of the way the world should be constructed because you have a lot of other hard sciences like, you know, um, physics and, you know, mathematics and stuff. And you, by applying those sciences, you get something tangible. And then you kind of find ultimate truth in a way. And then with the rest of the world, it just, it's so much subjectivity of like, what works, what doesn't, what should you do, what's right and wrong, like all this kind of stuff that a lot of it is subjective for sure. Um, but then economics kind of shows an objectivity to parts of it as far as what's a good tax policy. I mean, we see the, the results or, you know, what's a good regulation thing here? What's And then you can see countries that apply things differently or you can see, like, what's the best product in the world on, in this category and, like, the market speaks. Like, it just, you can kind of see, like, a lot of um, truth to that. And so as part of that, you know, you learn about the history of money. As, you know, as a kid, you have like, the, oh, it came from the seashells after the barter and all this and then coins. And then there's always that point when you go from um, like paper money as um, representations of precious metals. And then you're just like, yeah, and then we got rid of the precious metals. There's like the <laughs> record scratch of like, well, what happened there? Right. It wasn't like, well, we decided, let's be honest, there is no good answer. There's only, in my view, kind of like slightly malicious answers. There's nothing good <laughs> right there. And so then the rabbit hole of like the gold standard and like where we are now in the Federal Reserve and all this stuff, you know, which I it hit me in a, at an early age, like early teens even. And ever since then, I was, I'm, I'm not a very um, patient or I guess intellectual person. And so I, I want to like just do things today. And so people talk about, well, hypothetically, if we reinstituted a gold stand, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, well, well, can I do it now? Like, you're telling me the money sucks. That's all I have is like a little bit of money. And what can I do today? And then so somewhere around 2011, 2012, I was looking into um, Peter Schiff had his bank that would let you get a gold backed debit card. And I was like trying to get that and like. They were, you know, it's not available to U.S. citizenship, but, you know, but I, I had an extra citizenship. And I'm like, oh, well, let me see if I can figure out through that. And, like, I was trying to make it happen because I would just didn't want to live off of inflationary currency. And then I heard about uh, crypto and Bitcoin and stuff. And kind of in the back of my head, um, I didn't touch the stuff. I didn't actually use or possess the stuff until mid-2013. But, and I see that seems to be where I remember having heard about it, but then I look back at old tweets and like end of 2020, I was already like writing articles about and mentioning Bitcoin and stuff. So somewhere around then I heard about it. I moved up to New Hampshire and on the way, on my drive over, I stopped at a friend's place in Chicago and we shared a pizza and he paid me back for his part of the pizza in Bitcoin, which is of course, no way. you know, <laughs> I didn't, it didn't click until many years later. They're like, oh, okay. That's like a pizza day thing. And I don't think it was intentional. Just Did you look back on that transaction to see how much that pizza cost? That's what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know, it, I think it was 0.1 or 0.11 Bitcoin or something. That's kind of, that's about how much I But you probably lost that wallet. You didn't it was around because back then, who cared? Right? It was just a couple of hours. Well, no, actually, so that was around 13 US dollars worth at the time, 13, 15, somewhere around then. And then at the end of 2013 is when we hit that $1,000 spike. And 
in New Hampshire, there's this movement called the Free State Project, which is basically a collection of like the most free thinking, I guess, libertarian type people in the world that just decide they want to make an intentional community. So as soon as I got to New Hampshire, I was spending Bitcoin immediately. Like people were selling stuff in it. And I was just wow. like, you know, the, the local the, like community kind of farmer's market vibe. Yes. And I'll, I'll get in that in just a second. But so I, I basically spent it all, all the way up to a thousand. <laughs> and after that, I didn't have much left. And then it wasn't until like, and then I kind of, I caught the bug right away. I, this was before like the PayPal Venmo era kind of thing. When people were still just with their card, you couldn't really transfer to a buddy that easily. And so when you go out to eat somewhere and someone pick up the tab and everyone pay them back in Bitcoin, I was like, it clicked. I'm like, this is like gold, but it's like you can use it. But not only that, it's better than the banks. It just anyone can send to anyone. It just clicked to me that this is huge. And so over the next few years, I I just tried to use it or get it whenever I could. Like I gave people like rides at the airport and exchange for Bitcoin in like early 2014. Um, I wrote, did some copywriting for the, uh, it, I don't know if anyone remembers it. If people are old in the space they might remember the bitcoin bigfoot pamphlets oh yeah you used to hand like them out to the so i i wrote those oh they were awesome yes yeah, so i wrote the we were just talking about that the other day actually i was saying there used to be this big very small world this huh? bigfoot they used to send them all the meetup groups so you can hand them out and educate people and nobody does that that was it was super helpful but thank you i didn't know you did that that was great well thank you i, I was paid in bitcoin to write the copy for that and it was tweaked a who little sponsored bit that who, who, I, I don't know else. exactly who was like doing that i don't so I don't know like all the entities stuff behind it. I just know a guy that I knew who went by the name of Sovereign Curtis is the one who told me to do it, and I, I did it for him. And then he liked the job I did, so he paid me more than he promised nice. to. So that was nice. Well, I, I definitely remember it, and it was, and it was so. helpful at the time because we were running these meetup groups, and you'd have these new people come. If you had a Bitcoin ATM, you could show them that. But mm -hmm. these pamphlets were great. You would hand them out, and they weren't selling anything. They were just educating people, and they were really well-written. Well so mm -hmm. Cool. Sounds sounds like yeah. you need to bring these back, Joel. Yeah. Yeah, I need to do something similar uh, of the sort. So basically, I just was like one foot in, one foot out, kind of carrying on my life, but trying to get in, get into the crypto world as much as I could until toward the, towards the end of 2015, I started to feel a little bit like I was, you know, I should be more into this. And some of it was also I was telling people, oh, this is the money future. You, you can live unbanked, all this kind of stuff. And then I kind of felt like I didn't, I kind of was repeating lines on that. I didn't really know. So I thought I needed to find out through like a self-experiment. So at the end of 2015, I decided I wasn't going to take any, uh, any more fiat anymore. Like I was That's just awesome. going to work for whatever would, whatever, because I got paid bits and pieces here and there for little jobs here and there with Bitcoin. But I was like, what if I just only took that? And so if I just cut myself off from fiat, then I could then I could find it. And as luck would have it, like within a week, I got a job writing for Cointelegraph. And, you know, that was, I still write some stuff for them unpaid, just like occasional opinion pieces and stuff. But that, that kind of got my, my foot in the door. And then, you know, it's been kind of that way ever since. So I got to know, were you married when you made that decision? I was, well, based off the way you took no. that drink, doesn't <laughs> basically, basically, no, I was, I was in my current relationship at the time, but it wasn't. So it's was kind of like, 
you're buying into, you, you know, she knew what she was buying into long-term. Like, it wasn't So it like wasn't like you had to go home new. and say, hey, honey, uh, by the way, I'm mm-hmm. going to, we're just going to go completely unbanked yeah. and we're going to use cryptocurrencies. <laughs> you know, I bet this ruins yeah, so a lot of relationships. Because once you're orange-pilled, if the other person's not, I can't imagine... <laughs> I can't imagine having to struggle. I hear these guys come to the meetup group and, oh, my wife hates crypto. She doesn't like me buying it. And they sh- what? Like, listen yes. to that. I'm quite blessed in that she understands the principles behind it and understands the technical stuff much better than most average crypto fans. And so sometimes I'll like, hey, well, let's, we're in the, the area. Let me talk, stop with one of our crypto friends and have a chat of coffee. And then at the end, she'll be like, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, does he? <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Just, like, just kind of out of Your like, wife oh. is awesome. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I, I tend to agree. She's going to point out all the FUD for you. Nice. Yeah, well, that's for sure. So what are you, what are you currently working on? What are you doing today? Um, well, I mean, I'm right here. I'm not multitasking as much as that would be tempting. Um, give my time <laughs> entirely to you. But... <laughs> I'm trying to think. So I'm editing a video. I, I run a, a channel um, for the last couple years or so that I started exclusively on the library network. And then since then, I have it on YouTube and like an audio only, you know, RSS feed thing on all the Spotify's and all of them uh, called Digital Cash Network. And so I just do, I do a weekly live podcast and then I do, I guess, educational videos and things like that on the crypto space. Um, from a, a completely not crypto YouTuber perspective, you know, none of the pumpy stuff, like just trying to keep the focus on what's real and using it as money. And then I did have a series I put out on the on the channel in 2020, the call like how to live on crypto that got pretty popular. And I'm going to do a re a redo starting out like I I guess I have a plan for like January 1st or whatever, just like how to how to live on crypto. But I'm also in the process of um, coming up with a sequel, which is you know, how to build a business on crypto, where I'm oh, cool. kind of going through going through all the, um, like, what do you have to do for accounting and reporting, and how do you run stuff through an LLC, and then how do you, if people need to pay you in fiat, how do you convert that instantly, and, you know, all, and how do you pay employees, and how do you get your website built, and, like, all that kind of stuff, just how do you basically run a censorship-resistant business as you know, because you can live well with censorship-resistant money, personally. But if you know, if you get fired from your job or whatever, that's a little bit, a little bit censorable, I guess. But when you have a business that you've worked really hard to build, that's almost scarier because you can't just like throw away your business and do something else that easily. You put a lot of work right. into it, and so try to like have a business that they can't just like get you for you, you can it's as censorship resistant as your money well how it's because even, a, even, even this, if you have centralized systems the, yeah. the the laws governing working and selling and all of that it's tough right you i remember when eric Voorhees sold satoshi dice he didn't even form a company and they went after him there wasn't even a, it was completely yeah. decentralized whatever it was just this this uh, this little app yeah and, and they went after him so well obviously everyone's business is everyone's business, everyone's regulatory climate, et cetera, is different. But I'd like to um, have a system where uh, people who don't, who are out of the official world, like let's say you're running a clandestine business, like an, as the the official term is agorism, which is um, it's basically intentional gray markets where you know you kind of 
basically want to not participate in the system. And obviously, there's some legal ramifications of that, so it's not something I'm either advocating or exclusively teaching people how to do. I'm teaching them how to be able to have a model that works in both ways. So, like, for example, with a website, you have your hosting provider and you have your domain name stuff, but also you register an NFT domain on something like Unstoppable Domains, and then you back up your website to IPFS, so then in case they just whack your whole website, it's all still there. You can still kind of run dark. And like, okay, well maybe if your you know, Coinbase account gets shut down for whatever, you can still get paid and pay people in crypto because you got that yourself. You, you know, even though the, it may, obviously getting censored is you know, problematic in a lot of ways. It's, it's not, it's never going to be great, but at least your, your core values are surviving. Just like if you have a wood stove heating your house in the winter and then a lot of like thing, a lot of resources are unavailable to you. You can always go find some wood and put it back in there and keep going and so cook some food on there and stuff. So it's kind of the same, you know, the thing. IPFS are backing up and there's actually, you can, you can serve up websites decentralized. So, so building the decentralized website, mm-hmm. um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I definitely think there's yeah. more and more of that. I don't think law enforcement likes likes these sort of things, and I think a, a lot of regulatory no. and government entities don't like them because they can't control them, obviously. You can't tax them. Well, that's a good thing about it now is right now it's like in the nerd hobby territory. It's fun, and so it's not dangerous. Like there's, I mean, there's big, very um, above-board companies involved in all this kind of stuff. I mean, a lot of people who issue website access and stuff like that like you can do it through NFTs today and it's like, it's great and it's fun. So you don't have to, it's kind of like making living on crypto and building a business on crypto fun, like in gamify it. It's like, oh, I got to do this. I do this cool thing instead of that cool thing. And then before you know it, you've been like training your whole life for yeah. uh, the veritable apocalypse kind of. Well, and you it learn everything. It a, lot, a, lot better. a lot of this. Yeah. yeah. You learn everything in the process, all the regulations, all the down, the downfalls or pitfalls that you could possibly run into. I mean, you end up, mm-hmm. you end up getting to learn all of that, just like anybody else out there spending, you know, traditional fiat would. What you were saying sounds like open. Yeah, bizarre. Absolutely. I remember when those guys were doing that, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I'm, Good friends with the lead back end oh, dev okay. for Open Bazaar. Uh, what, whatever happened to that project? Do you know? I'm curious. Well, from what I know, um, it just never really took yeah. off. Their their model was a little strange. I mean, it worked well, but um, I guess it's just the infrastructure of an like building an entire infrastructure of like an Amazon type replacement. Just it cost too much to run a lot of the infrastructure bits, and it was just too too difficult to manage and it just also didn't do anything like where people can buy anything on Amazon there wasn't anything you could really buy on Open Bazaar you couldn't it just didn't like all the things just didn't quite line up and so they just kind of had to like let it go and I I think that um, we're going to maybe see some like a newer better way of doing these kinds of things in the future like maybe the NFT marketplace ideas you know, kind of the thing where NFTs are the products, or they represent and you the just, product, and you can take and you yeah. can execute and get them delivered. Uh, the thing I th- saw about Open yeah, Bazaar was just, it was too complicated, right? Just to get set up, I had to run a node. I had to do mm-hmm. all these things to get this thing set up, and then there was nothing to buy anyway. So I was like, well, I'm not going to spin this thing up every time I want to go looking to buy something. You know, it. it so okay, I, I know early adopters. So you struggle through those things, but it was a very interesting idea, and it was mm-hmm. an interesting way that they did it. 
it's just it was too complicated and the nor- normal people are never in a million years going to do that so you had to simplify that uh, down and I just I don't think they ever got there <laughs> <laughs>